Brothers and sisters, please pray with me before we begin. Lord, we want to thank you that we come to you, and it is in you that we can find every rest, every satisfaction, every comfort, Lord, and without you there is nothing else that we can find, and we can only rest in you. Father, you know our hearts, you know where the church is, you know where everyone is, every soul is, and whatever is going through the minds and lives and situations, Lord. And uh, I pray that this text would speak to them. And those of us who are truly rejoicing in you and having a smooth life, we pray that we would look at our brother or sister who is struggling through suffering and we would be able to help them in a matter that is truly helpful. Lead them to Christ. Point them to God who cares and who gives every Lord opportunity to rest in him. Bless us, Lord, and help us to understand this text and apply it to our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as Kirill was reading earlier from Romans chapter 8, it was a great reminder that we all of us living upon this earth and being part of the creation that we all suffer. And we suffer through various ways and different times for various reasons. And we're all grown, whether we're suffering for Christ or whether we're suffering from our physical ailment or conflict within family or you name it. We suffer at various times And I want to encourage you today to suffer correctly, to use this opportunity to cling to Christ and to enjoy him and to look up to him during difficult times. And as I was reading, maybe you today, you are not suffering today. I guarantee you, you will suffer. You will go through trials, as James says in James chapter 1, when you encounter various trials. The time is about to come, whenever it will come. But you get today to be that person to come along your brother and sister and to help them through difficult times that they may be going through. I'd like to read to you an encouragement, if you're struggling, from an author who wrote an article about suffering. Quote, Only in Christ do we find breathlessly fulfilling joy, peace, and meaning when we live like we died in Christ. Our career finds its balance, our pet finds its place, our children benefit unbelievably, and our victories over trials become reasons to make God famous and happily laud Him before others. Since Christ is the source of peace, joy, strength, and rest, and in Him we live and move and have our very being, we can be secure and feel significant when we see ourselves in Christ." Jesus is ecstasy beyond compare. Why would, you, why would we supplant him with anything lesser? Now you sitting here and thinking, well, if only this person understood what I'm going through, right? What, I, what type of suffering I'm encountering, what type of troubles I have, you would say maybe the words would be a little bit different, right? But in a way... Um, 
let this person speak a little further because I think this person truly understands. This quote continues. In a way, I understand the struggle. My quadriplegia constantly clamors for my undivided attention. Empty leg bag, deal with pain, arrange for help, adjust corset, charge wheelchair, look for access, and grab that handicapped parking spot before someone else does. It's my world. Then again, it's definitely not. My world, my breath, and very being, my identity is in Christ and Christ alone. I'm not my own. I was bought with the price of God's blood. Now, you may recognize this person, Joni Erickson Tata, who is preaching or who is writing this article. Someone who truly experiences pain and suffering on moment-by-moment basis. She recognizes that the suffering, it is not what identifies her. She identifies with Christ. I want to take you to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is, again, another example of someone who is going through suffering and troubles in life, probably one of the worst, lowest points in life, and how this person, David, responds through this time. Take, go with me to Psalm 63, and we will read the psalm together. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Now, when we read from David's account, we understand that David has gone through large portions of his life suffering, running from someone, running either from Saul or his enemies, and he has ex- or his own children. And he has experienced suffering probably at one of the greatest level. Now, this psalm is a little bit different. In other psalms, David expresses, he truly speaks and expresses what exactly he's experiencing. For example, in Psalm 69, he says, Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. 
he speaks of this injustice or pain or the, his circumstances. At other times, he cries out to God and says, how long, O Lord? How long will this be? There are questions that any sufferer asks. Why me, God? Why now? Why? Lord, why do you take me through this time? When will you come and when are you going to rescue me from this suffering? Get out, get me out of this. But it seems to me that David in the psalm probably has gone through those questions. And he comes to this point of rest. And he comes to the true meaning, understanding, and understanding of suffering and truly where the suffering should be taking him. He understands that this is the time when I get to seek the Lord, where I get to rest in him, where I get to trust him and praise him and thank him, rely on him and just be in him, enjoy him. Isn't that amazing? It's truly is amazing when reading this psalm, understanding the circumstances. And let me give you a little bit of the background, the context in which David wrote this. And this, you can see it from the superscription, which is the inspired text, where it says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, understanding and knowing the life of David, and every time it mentions him going to the wilderness of Judah, there were either usually two instances. He's either running from Saul or while being the king, he was running from Absalom. And from verse 11, as we read, where it says, but the king will rejoice in God, it likely refers to the time toward the end of his reign when he was running from Absalom, his son. Now, if you recall the stress and the agony and the pain that he was going through, you can have a little better understanding of his heart. Remember, he had a very serious family problem. His own son rose against him. He deceived people within his kingdom, and he rose against him, and he's now coming for him. And David was caught off guard, and as Absalom was moving with his army into Jerusalem, David had to flee Jerusalem in order to save his own life. His best counselor, Ahithophel, he stood against him. He sided with Absalom. His own nation rebelled against him. He was told the hearts of men are with Absalom. At least majority of the nation, they sided with the Absalom, his son. And why? Because they were deceived by him earlier. David was forced to flee. He cannot defend his city. He can't even stay within his own home. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that David decided to part with the Ark of the Covenant. He took the Ark with him and then he says, no, let the Ark stay in Jerusalem and if the Lord allows me to come back, I will come back. He lost his son. He lost his one of the top counselors. He lost his people. He lost his nation. He lost his city, city of David. He lost his home, lost the Ark of God, and now he's fearing for his own life. He's experiencing physical pain. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's tired. He's in the weary land in the desert 
where it's super cold at night, where it's hot during the day, but he's escaping from his son. We later read that when they came out of the wilderness, that David said to his friends who met him saying, give them food because the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. It was a true physical challenge as they went out from Jerusalem for them. And those were the circumstances that David now is writing this psalm. So if you think that my suffering or my troubles, my trials are not as bad, well, think again, because David definitely would be able to relate to your troubles a little bit. So this is difficult. And like I said, I'm not trying to belittle your trials. What I'm saying is there is something greater than any of the trials that you're going through that you and I get to cling to. So at this moment, you may be analyzing your own life and you may be considering, well, I have problems within my family. I have trouble people understanding me. You may have trouble with your own health, with your job, with ministry. You may have trouble with your whatever it may be. I want to encourage you that this suffering, it is an opportunity for you to cling to Christ. And I want to, with, through this psalm, I want you to see that the suffering Christian ought to look to Christ to find that rest and satisfaction in him. This is the only thing that you get to look for and seek. I want you to see that suffer who suffers right suffers with Godward orientation. That you are not to look at your own problems and pity your own problems and complain to God about your own problems. You can always speak to him and express, but ultimately you will find rest in him. My prayer is if you are suffering that you would not waste your suffering, but you would focus on the Lord, orient yourself toward God and seek and be passionate for him and seek that satisfaction in him alone. Well, at this point, as we go through the psalm, I want to show you five distinguishing marks of a God-word sufferer, someone who truly looks to God. And we read from verse 1, and this first mark of God-word sufferer is this, that he is resolved to seek God. The sufferer seeks God himself. Look, he says, David, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. Now, immediately, you can see this repeating, O God, you are my God, is what David is saying. He says, God, I have a personal relationship with you. I love you. I have known you, and I know you now. You are truly my God. If you compare this statement to the statement that Saul made, if you remember when Saul sinned and he spared the king of Agag and he, when he was confronted by um, Samuel, thank you. He was confronted by Samuel and he was convicted of the sin. What did Saul say? Saul said, okay, I have sinned before the Lord, but Samuel, can you please honor me before this people? And then I will go and I will worship your God. 
the God with whom you come, on whose behalf you come, and you confront me with the sin, do this for me, and then I will go ahead and do worship your God. But look, David here says, oh God, you are my God. You are my God. He finds that comfort in this God. And he says, I shall seek you earnestly. This word earnestly has the same root as the word dawn. That's why some of your translations may say, I will seek him early, or I will seek him in the morning. Well, this word likely is used in the metaphorical way to point not to the time of day, but the quality or the um, priority of seeking God. What David is saying is that I'm going to seek you, Lord, before I seek anyone else. Before I go and seek for help from people, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to seek you first. This is what the Lord does to us. Sometimes he puts us, he allows very difficult times in order for us to seek him. If you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Lord says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God from the other nation." When I'm going to take you and put you to suffer in a different foreign nation, you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. How often, how often that we become so anxious, worried about things, the circumstance, what is going to happen? I'm, I'm going through this difficult time. How, do I, how am I going to deal with this, Lord? And he says, let it all to me. Hand it to me. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The God word sufferer takes great initiative in seeking God. In fact, this is where God is using in order to draw him to himself. He is that great initiator. If you're paralyzed by your problems, if you're sitting, if you're whining, complaining about your problems, it is time for you to shift your focus from yourself, from your pains, to God, to Christ, to find that comfort and satisfaction in Him. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land, for there's no water. Notice that He explains the conditions that he's going through and physical, he is referring to physical suffering, but he ultimately says that my soul is not thirsting for water and I'm not hungry. I am actually thirsty for you, Lord. I'm yearning for you. Body's aching, is dehydrated, but he says, what I truly want, Lord, is your presence. I just want to know, I want to see you, that you're next to me. You're right there with me. In Psalm 42, David writes, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Psalm 84, verse 2 says, My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Well, brother, sister, longing for God isn't that our first mark of our conversion? When Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That inner thirst for God, that is the sign that you know him or you're being drawn to him. That is the sign that of your conversion. And sometimes the Lord has to take us low into our circumstances and troubles in order to kindle that yearning and desire for him. We entered the Christian life thirsting and being hungry for God. It is a mark of our conversion. One of our God's purposes for pain is to cause his child to seek him earnestly. Look at what he says later. Thus, I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. As David is roaming around, as, as he's fleeing from Absalom, he's remembering the times when he was in the tabernacle. From other Psalms, we read that David loved to go to the tabernacle. He loved to be in the presence of God. And here he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary. Now, it could be very debatable. The, Lord, the, the scripture doesn't show us whether he truly saw the Shekinah glory being in the temple or he simply by faith understood and saw everything around him, the furniture and the acts of sacrifices and everything how this whole tabernacle was assembled. He saw that all of this represents the glory and the power of God. But he loved being there. If I read to you from Psalm 27, David wrote, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. This is David's always desire was, I just want to be close to him. I want to be, I want to be able to see the glory of God and, and be in his presence. And now as David is running away, experiencing all this trouble, he's not saying, God, take all of this away from me. I just, he says, I want to be in your presence. I long for that. And those of you, those of us who know Christ intimately, our eyes have been opened to see the glory of Christ, right? We have seen the glory of the only begotten from the Father who is full of grace and truth. We have experienced his transforming power in our lives. And today we're called to seek him more. Look for him, rest in him. This should drive us to seek him further as David did in his life. It takes us to second mark of this Godward sufferer it is one who trusts in the Lord's goodness. Godward suffer who trusts in the Lord's goodness. Read with me verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now you understand this word loving kindness. It's a very famous word, uh, word in the Old Testament. It, it is this covenant love that is unconditional, unending, unwavering love that God decided to love with his own people. And David, what he does is he holds on to the actual character of God and his promises. He recalls from Exodus chapter 34, right, where it says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And he says, I 
am resting in the fact that I know that you are full of loving kindness. You're abounding with loving kindness. He rests in that. And he says, this is what actually brings you. In the midst of your troubles, you can only, the first thing that you can rest in is knowing the fact that he is, has a covenant love for you personally. In one sense, David says, Lord, no matter what I go through, no matter, even if I suffer, even if I die from the hands of my son Absalom and his gang, and all of his, through all of his deception, even if this goes through me, you know what? I am more comforted in you knowing my relationship with you than even the life that I live here on earth. This physical life is even less important to me than knowing that I have this intimate relationship with you because of your covenant love. And when you, Christian, when you suffer, do you understand that? Do you grasp? Do you hold on to this truth that Jesus has you in his hand? That he loves you. He loves you with this covenant love and he wants for you to feel that love and know of that love. Do you recall the promises of God? Do you believe that he causes all things to work out together for your good? Because you love him. Do you believe that all the things will somehow lead you to become like Christ? A little bit more like Christ. Do you believe that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hold on to that truth? Do you find your comfort in that alone? I want to quote you Luther as he was writing about suffering. He says this, This is real strength. To trust God when to all our senses and reason he appears to be angry and to have greater confidence in him than we feel. This is very important. A lot of times we feel that he's angry. We feel that he left us. We feel that he's away from us. We don't see him. But he says the real strength comes is when you trust that he's not angry, that he's next to you. He loves you right now, even despite my own feeling. He writes about people who have no faith. He says, this faith they did not know at all and give up, thinking that God has forsaken them as, and has become their enemy. They even lay the blame of their ills on men and devils and have no confidence at all in God. For this reason, too, their suffering is always an offense and harmful to them. And yet they go and do some good works, as they think, and are not aware of their unbelief. But they who in such suffering trust God and retain a good, firm confidence in Him and believe that He's pleased with them. They see in their sufferings and afflictions nothing but precious merits and the rarest possessions, the value of which no one can estimate. Trusting in God 
I will tell you, it almost sandwiches this entire passage from verse 3 all the way to down to verse 8. Verse 3 says, because your loving kindness is better than life, this truth, my lips will praise you. It begins this confidence in God's character and his attribute of love. And then it ends, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And we will see that as David begins to meditate on the truth of God, of his loving kindness, it further reciprocates and he's gaining even more trust and love. We will see that in just a little bit. Take a look with me in verse 3. It leads us to this third mark of a Godward sufferer who praises his name, praises God's name. Oh, how hard it is to praise God when you're suffering, right? How hard it is. This is when you're going through difficult trouble. You can't think of anything else but your own trouble. And somehow, after having come to rest and trusting in goodness of God, David says, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I lift. I will lift up my hands in your name. This is the Godward sufferer. This is what he does. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Naturally, James, do you even know what you're talking about? Consider it all joy when I'm suffering. Do you know what I'm going through? He says, consider it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul and Silas, you remember, they were preaching in Philippi. They were later beaten with many blows, it says, and thrown into prison. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Supernatural. Why would they do that? They're just happy in the Lord. They just find their rest and say, you know what? Even if we would be killed, we're just so happy to be suffering because we're suffering for the Lord. It is another reason why you might be wanting or why you might be suffering. Someone said the times of greatest witness and testimony are the times of greatest difficulty. The suffering you're going through, the pain that you're experiencing, if you are truly suffering and taking advantage of this time and seeking the Lord and resting in His goodness, it speaks to other people who are around you. It is a testimony of itself. Consider that, my brothers, sisters. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Verse 7 says, I sing for joy. David, you're going through serious troubles. How is it that you get to sing for joy? How is it that you get to praise the Lord? How is it that you can bless him, speak good things to people around you during the worst times of your lives? Well, because he placed his trust in God. Number four, Godward sufferer delights in God. He indulges in his character. Look with me 
in verse 5, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. What David is saying is that I am just indulging in God. I'm just so satisfied. I'm filled with him. This satisfied as with marrow and fatness, for today's day and age, it's quite difficult for us to grasp that. But in the old times, when you want to throw the biggest feast and you have all kinds of food, you better have a lot of fat in there and a lot of marrow there. And this is what David is saying. I am enjoying and and satisfied in the goodness of God and you, Lord, as if I have eaten a ton of food, various types, fatty food. This is how I feel being with you in your presence. This is what he's saying. It's like a rich banquet feast that he's referring to, being in the presence of God. This is what Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Christian, we find that satisfaction and fulfillment in Jesus alone. Sin is what brings us to hunger. Jesus is what he fulfills that and fills us up. And not only just for survival, but we are like feasting on him. I don't want to ask you a question. Do you find your secondary pleasures, your rest and secondary pleasures, like your family or your good health or your safety, your security, physical security, do you find your pleasure in those things? Young people, what do you find your pleasure in? What do you find your rest in? When your friends accept you? When you have a lot of time to do your stuff that you like to do? Watch something, play video games. What is it that you find your rest in? Do you find your rest in children when only when they obey you? I'll tell you, all those things, none of them are stable. None of them actually can fulfill you and fill you up. It is only Jesus Christ can. And look, he continues on and he reiterates. He continues in verse 6. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate you in the night watches. When you're overwhelmed with God, this is what David's state was. He's overwhelmed with God. He just meditates on him. He thinks of him. He remembers him. He's recalling of what he learned from him. He meditates specifically on you, he says. I remember you. I meditate on you, on who God is. And then he says, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. And then he says, well, if God is this, allow Let me go back and see how God has been to my life in the past. He recalls it. Now, I think the order that David writes this in is very crucial. If you remember that the first thing we began with in verse 3 is that he puts his confidence in who God is. And that is, despite your current circumstances and not even paying attention to your prior experiences, You first, you put your confidence in who God is as God has revealed himself through scripture. In the same way, 
I believe in verse 6, he says, I remember you on bed, on my bed. I meditate on you on the night watches. And then he compares to the past experiences. It just tells us that your past experiences are not even primary in order for you to find rest in God. You first rest in God knowing that who he is, that he is good, that he's sovereign, that he does things, all things for your good first, because he said that in the scripture, because it is aligns perfectly with his character. That is what you find your confidence and your rest and peace in first. And then you definitely can look back And those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time or for a short period of time, I don't think any of you can look back and say, well, there was this time I think the Lord left me. I I don't think you will be able to say that. I think looking back at your life, you will know and you will actually testify that the Lord has never left you has never forsaken you. He has carried you through all types of troubles and sufferings and pains, but you are where you are and you, where you are and who you are because he has carried you through, because he was with you and was blessing you. And look, David says, my soul now, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. I recognize that you are covering with me with these wings of shadow, of protection, and from the sun. It is understanding that you are over me, and you're blessing me, and you're carrying me, and helping me right now. I sing for joy. And my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. As I have said, he has begun with having confidence in him. This confidence triggered this praise and satisfaction in God, and he comes back. It almost reciprocates back to him, and he says, I even have greater confidence in you. I have this special desire to cling to you even more. This word cling, by the way, it's the same word that in Genesis it says, for this reason the man will leave his mother and father and will cling to his wife. It's a special clinging, the union that the man has with the woman, creating a new family. This oneness is what it's referring here. And this is what David says, I'm going to cling to God. Doesn't that remind you of the clinging, the oneness that we have in Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ? When Joni Tata, Erickson Tata, when she says, I don't see myself And I don't identify myself with these sufferings. I identify myself with Christ because he is one with me. I'm identified with him. I'm united with him. In the same way, here David says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Beautiful words and beautiful understanding that David has come to just knowing, trusting God. Are you clinging to Jesus Christ in the midst of your struggles? Are you pleading with him like Jacob pleaded with the Lord to grant him grace? Jacob clung to the Lord and he says, bless me, Lord. 
even with the dislocated hip. He went on blessed, knowing God better, more deeper, more intimately than ever before. Takes us to number five. Godward sufferer expects God's righteous judgment. Look at verse nine. It says, but those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. David reflects, look, there are people who are coming after him. And we know from reading 2 Samuel, we know that David would have never survived that battle because there are way more people, there were way more powerful in order that came after him and wanted to take their life. But David says, I believe, I believe that those who seek my life, they will go into the depths of the earth. They will be punished. And he understood that even if he dies, it is according to God's will. And the love of God has never left me even if I die. But God is going to bring all those evildoers to justice. And it is very comforting for us Christians and for people who are suffering unjustly. If there's someone who sinned against you or continues to sin against you, or there's this almost circumstances where you cry out to God and say, but it's not fair, God. Why do I have to do this? There is this promise and there's this hope, confident hope that you have saying, thinking that God is going to vindicate me from evil people. He will punish all the evildoers and he will give me final rest. Now that rest may not even come in this life. That disease may not leave you in this life. That person who causes you trouble in your life may not, may still be there till you die. But there is justice. And God will act. And all the evildoers will be punished. He says, but the king will rejoice in God. But the king will rejoice in God. He will be vindicated. It says, everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Remember Absalom. If you remember well, what he did was a very deceitful act. He deceived people. I'll read to you from 2 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel, um, uh, not Samuel, um, Absalom. He stood at the gate It said, and whenever a man approached to prostrate himself before him, he would put his hand on him, almost like, oh, you're just like me. Don't even prostrate yourself before me. And he would take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom dealt this way with all Israel who came to the kingdom of judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. This is a very deceitful act. Right in the front yard of your father, who is the king. He was deceiving person after person, trying to put this doubt in the hearts that, hey, my father, he's actually not that great. He's not that good. When I get to be the king, oh, you will then live. And David here says, the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. 
God is going to deal with people like this. And there are people maybe in your life who have hurt you. And you maybe still be reaping some consequences of people hurting you in that. And God says, God is going to deal with them. Notice that he does not have, David does not have this vengeful spirit. He does not, even in the way he dealt with his son Absalom, he says, don't kill him. He did not want his death, but he trusted fully to God. And he says, God who loves me and who has special affection for me and who has special relationship with me, he's going to deal with the people who have hurt me according to his justice. This is, should be a comforting, comforting truth for us. David says, if God is with me, who can be against me? He refers himself here in the third person, and he says, I will be vindicated, but the Lord will execute his judgment and punishment upon evildoers. So God uses suffering, brother and sister, for your good. It may not seem like it, definitely doesn't feel like it. But the truth is, he uses it for your good. And the way you respond, and the way I respond to troubles and trials, it can be quite a strengthening experience through which we go through and then we are so much closer to God or it could be quite a waste of time. If we're bashing at people and we are hurting and we're just and we're just complaining and we're just focusing on self and we're focused on our own troubles, we're not reaping the benefit that is meant to have, we, that we are meant to have. Let us truly cling to our Lord. Let us put confidence in his character. Let us remember that he is good. Sometimes we know it with our minds but we don't believe it deep inside that he is good. He loves us beyond everything. And let us cling to him. Let us believe him, trust him, rest in him, praise him, worship him, speak, bless him. May the Lord bless us in that. Please pray with me. Our Father, we come to you through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we call on your name and we want to praise you because you are one who has experienced every suffering, every trouble. You know us and you sympathize with us. We want to thank you for your love, for your covenant love with which you have decided to love us before the foundation of the world. In the love that we stand and we live and we breathe the love upon which we can truly rely. Your goodness is just beyond measure. Oh Lord, I pray that we would be resting in that as, we, as David was resting in that. And we would not be just meditating on our own troubles, but we would be meditating on you alone. That we would be overwhelmed in understanding you. We would be feasting on you, delighting in you through all the troubles. Lord, we need your help. We want to know you deeper. We want to experience you deeper. 
and help us to do it right. For your glory we pray, amen.